Hi, Church. If you don't already know, I'm Mav, Maverick, either one. Um, and I'm going to be reading the Bible for us today. Um, so today's Bible passage is Matthew 19, 1 to 12. Um, and you can either follow along with the church Bible at the back, uh, in your own Bible, or on the screen behind me. So Matthew 19, 1 to 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Scott is my name. Um, One of the pastors here. Really great to be with you this morning. Um, I want to start by acknowledging that we're about to... Pardon me, we're about to touch on a topic that can be uh, sensitive for a lot of us. That is, singleness is, singleness is our topic for today. And so up front, um, I want to say, yeah, it's a difficult topic. And often in churches, we don't talk about this very much. Uh, many single people I know find living a single life challenging. Not always, but certainly at times. And so I wanted to say before we start, I've worked really hard at being careful with my language here. But if I'm clumsy at some point... Um, don't think I've done that intentionally. Just come and let me know later on how I could have fixed things up. But uh, We are in this series in relationships, um, and I think it's important that we do a talk on, on singleness. Uh, biblically, singleness is, is an important thing, and culturally it's something that our churches tend to push to the sides. And so um, to end, this is our final talk in this series, I wanted us to do um, one on singleness. Here's the plan for the day. I want us to look at two Bible passages, kind of what they say and what it means for us. And then finally, also a a, a practical thing that it's worth us considering as well. All right, so here we go. Let's start into it then. Um, Let's start off with our first Bible passage, Matthew chapter 9. This is the passage that Mav just read out for us. A bit of background to the passage here. Um, When Jesus was around, there were a lot of different ideas about divorce, even amongst the religious teachers. Some were even teaching that you could basically divorce your wife for any and every reason. That is, if you're a bloke, you could do this. You know, you'll wake up and the wife has burned the toast for breakfast. 
Well, there's your grounds for a divorce. I know it sounds crazy, but that's basically the idea that they were saying. And so along come some of these Pharisees. These guys are the religious experts. They're the elite. And they don't really like Jesus very much. You know, he's too much of an upstart. And, 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 but they come and they ask him about divorce, not because they want to hear what he's got to say. But you see in verse 3, they're testing Jesus. They want to kind of draw him into the debate. They want to see him pin his colors to the wall and maybe lose some supporters over it. But Jesus is really clear, isn't he? Um, Divorce, he says, isn't something to be treated lightly. Jesus is not in favor of that attitude that says, just, you know, divorce whenever you like and get on, move along with the next one. He's very clear. Verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Jesus is really clear here. But the disciples, did you notice, when they hear this, they're, they're a little bit gobsmacked by it. That's a pretty big thing, Jesus. Like, 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 Maybe that's a bit too hard. So look what they say in verse 10. The disciples said to Jesus, if that's a situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Maybe just avoid the whole thing and stay single. Now really what I want to do is to look a bit more closely at the, the, the last two verses, what Jesus says in response to this. So verse 11, Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. See, what what Jesus is saying here isn't for everyone. That is, not everyone can accept what Jesus says about marriage. Only married people can, right? If you're single, what Jesus says about marriage is not for you unless you become a married person. That leaves the question hanging, what about those who are single then? And so Jesus goes on and he talks about eunuchs. Now, we don't talk about eunuchs very much today, right? But a eunuch basically was someone, a a male, who'd been um, uh, castrated. Ouch. This is a form of punishment in the ancient world. Or sometimes there was also uh, special jobs that if you were going to do them, you needed to be a, a eunuch. So, for example, if you were looking after the king's harem, then, uh, well, you had to be a eunuch so that the king could be sure no funny business was happening there. Uh, That's what most people heard when they heard the word eunuch. But Jesus talks about three types of eunuchs. So verse 12, he says, For there are eunuchs who are born that way. That is, they were born unable to procreate. Uh, Jesus goes on, but then, and then there are eunuchs who've been made eunuchs by others. That is, talking about those who've who've been castrated. And Jesus goes on to say, and then there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That is, some choose the life of a eunuch. Not literally meaning they castrate themselves, but but they're choosing not to marry. They're choosing not to be sexually active, but to be single. And to do this for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Here's a few reflections on, on what Jesus has said. Firstly, uh, notice that Jesus says some will choose singleness. Of course, not every single person is single by their own choice, but some will be. Socially, back in Jesus' day, that was a very odd choice. You know, the huge majority of people back in Jesus' day were all married. And even today, if, if you were to tell your friends th- th- that you were choosing to be single for life, most of your friends would, would kind of think, that's a strange decision. Because like, nowadays you think, yeah, 
our world says that sexual expression is a key part of your identity. It's about who you are. And if you choose not to be sexually active, well, then you're kind of a bit weird, aren't you? You're, you're missing out. You might even be suppressing who you really are inside. But I think that's a, just really a bunch of nonsense. Um, singleness has a choice. It's a choice that many believers have made throughout history. Think of, think of guys like John the Baptist. Uh, really important guy in the Bible, never married. Think about Jesus himself. Jesus is the guy we follow, single all his life. The Apostle Paul was single at least for a large part of his life. Then there were lots of people in the early church years, guys like Oregon, who were single by choice. All throughout history, right up to, to modern times, to, to someone like uh, John Chapman. Now, I don't know John personally. I don't know if you've heard of the name. John was an evangelist and Bible teacher, firstly in country New South Wales and then in Sydney. His ministry had a huge influence on many people and he was single throughout it all. Again, I didn't know the guy personally, but people who knew him uh, spoke to him about his singleness and apparently he'd say something like, look, well, there was just so much ministry to do, so much stuff to get on with. I never really got around to being married. In, in a sense, he'd, he'd chosen singleness for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That, that's the first thing. Some people will choose singleness. And, and flowing that, too, I want to say, second thing then, um, believers, we must not think of singleness as if it's like a second-rate option. Uh, some will choose it. And Jesus here is commending their choice. This is something I think our wider Christian culture has missed. Think about it. Often Christian parents will talk to their kids as if, well, they're just going to one day grow up and they'll be married. Often churches just assume that the young single people in their congregations are going to grow up and get married. And so you hear them say things like, oh, you're just waiting to meet the right person. It's all going to happen in God's time, isn't it? But friends, can I say, that's unbiblical. This kind of attitude, just assuming that people get married, that attitude comes from Hollywood movies, not from the Bible. It's Hollywood that says your best life is the one where you found your soulmate, and anything before that is just a waiting, waiting, a long, hard waiting until they come along. This attitude that says that marriage is the norm, it also can set up our kids with certain expectations. What happens if they don't get married then? Have they failed? Are they second-rate believers because they're single? And what does this say to the believer who's same-sex attracted, who wants to honour God by living a chaste, single life? Are we saying that their lives are only ever going to be second-rate? Of course not. But we can make it seem that way if our church culture assumes, and if we always just talk like everyone will end up married. Now, I know you guys, right? I, I, I don't think that any of us would, would, would do that intentionally, would make someone seem like they're second rate just because they're not married. I don't think we'd do that intentionally. But it can happen by mistake. Just thoughtlessly saying words, often not thinking about it at all. 
But again, can we hear what the Bible is saying here? Some will choose singleness for the sake of the kingdom. And that, friends, is a good decision. It is a good choice. It is a godly thing. And it's one I think we need to encourage, to talk about and encourage, not just to assume that marriage is going to come. That's our first part of the Bible today. That's um, Matthew chapter 19. Here's our second Bible passage, 1 Corinthians 7. Actually, as we get into it, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard Christian believers talk about this idea of the gift of singleness? Has anyone ever heard that phrase bandied around? Yeah. Um, We hear this idea, and I reckon a lot of times what we think it means, it's someone who's got special power. They don't really desire marriage, and they've got a God has given them a, a, a strong control over their sexual desires, so that they're gifted for this lifetime of singleness, right? You've heard this idea before, yeah? Um, the, the, the gift of singleness it comes from a uh, uh, second Bible passage, one Corinthians seven, in verses six and seven. I'm going to read it out to you. Um, so it says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. This is the writer here, Paul. He's talking about himself and his own singleness. I wish that you were all as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. See, Paul here is saying, I'm single, and that's the gift that God has given me, and I wish he'd give it to you too. This is the passage that the, that, that idea comes from, the, the gift of singleness. And a lot of us have just grown up to assume what that means is that um, God has given people a special degree of being content with being single. So they can be single all their life, but the rest of us would probably find it really hard. Here's the problem with that idea. Many single believers that I know don't want to be single. Yeah, some have chosen it, but many of them are actually single and they haven't chosen it. They don't want to be single. They don't feel they're gifted at it. In fact, they might even regularly struggle with being single. And here's another, possibly even bigger problem. Uh, What Paul means when he's talking about the gift of singleness is not what we often call it. So let's think about this for a moment. What does Paul mean when he talks about gifts? What's that language in Paul about? Well, later on in 1 Corinthians 12, there's lots of talk about gifts that God gives people. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 4, people have many different kinds of gifts. And in fact, uh, in verse 4 and verse 6, those gifts are, are gifts that God has given people. But Paul goes on to say they're all used, the, the gifts are about um being used for the good of others. So Paul goes on to talk about a body. And there's lots of different parts of a body. They aren't all the same. You, know, you need a head, you need a feet, you need hands, you need legs. Not all of them are the same. There's different gifts. But all these gifts work together so that the body can function. The hand isn't a hand for the sake of the hand. The hand is a hand for the sake of the whole body. So let's go back and think about what does this mean for gifts. Well, imagine I have the gift of administration. I'm not given this gift for my benefit. It's not so that I can have a really neat and ordered life and look down upon those who have thousands of unread emails in their inbox. My gift of administration is not for me. I I use it for the good of others. My gift is for the benefit of the body, for for the church. 
so that I can do the job that very few people don't want to do so that the church is built up and functions well. See, for Paul, gifts are things God gives us so we can serve others. Which has to change how we see this idea of the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness is not something about me, as if I have some kind of control that nobody else has that lets me stay single. If I'm gifted with singleness, that's actually about other people. It's a way to serve them, not me. And so you see this back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read just a few verses here, and I want you to pick up on what it's saying here. Verses 32 to 34. This is what Paul says. Um, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. See what it's saying there? Singleness actually gives someone more time. They're not divided in their interests. They can completely and wholly serve God. And so if I'm single, part of, part of that gift is that I have time and space that others may not. And I use that for the sake of others. Pleasing the Lord with what I do. Being concerned about the Lord's affairs. Using my time so that others might get to know Jesus. Using my time so that others might grow to know him even better than they do now. So this gift of singleness isn't about me being content as a single person. It's actually about using my life and the time and the energy I have to serve other people. Take a look at this quote. It's from um, a famous pastor who recently died. He's from New York. His name's Tim Keller. Uh, he and his wife, Kathy, wrote a book about marriage. And there's a quote in there. They, say, they talk about singleness. They say this, in his writings... Paul always uses the word gift to mean an ability God gives to build others up. Paul is not speaking then of some kind of elusive, stress-free state. The giftness of being single for Paul lay in the freedom it gave him to concentrate on ministry in ways that a married man could not. See what the gift of singleness really is there? It's about serving others. Really, this is Philippians 2 all over again, isn't it? Now, Philippians 2 is, is a key passage we keep coming back to again and again and again in this series um, because it shows us what we're to be like in all our relationships. In Philippians 2 verse 5, it says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And what was Jesus' mindset? What was his attitude? Well, he was other person-centered, wasn't he? Right to the core. Jesus, though he is very God, Though he lived in glory in eternity past, yet he became a human. He became a servant and he served us even to the point when he died for us. That is exactly what the gift of singleness is about. Being like Jesus. It's about being other person-centered, using your time and the energy you have for the good of others. So, let me speak to you for a moment now. If you are in our church and you're a single person, how are you using that time? I mean, I get that everyone's busy, right? So are you, I'm sure. That's the norm. 
But to use the language of 1 Corinthians 7, you're freed from the concerns that a married person has. So what are you doing with that time? How are you devoting yourself to the Lord? Who are you serving? Who are you ministering to? But having said that, I also want to now just move on to the final practical consideration um, I want us to, to make today. Because here's the thing I hear from a lot of single people is that the single life can be hard. Singleness can be hard because most of our society has brought into the Hollywood myth that you, your life is really only complete when you've found the one. That's, that's the culture we live in. And so living in that as a single person is hard. Singleness is hard because the messages we keep hearing tell us that the really fulfilled life must include some, some part of being sexually fulfilled as well. So you're missing out if you're single. Singleness is hard because we live in a culture that is sex-saturated. It's in our TV shows, it's in our movies, it's in our advertising, it's everywhere. And so living as a chaste, single believer in the Lord is hard. And all that's true. But here's the real question. The real, the real reason I think singleness is hard is it can often be very lonely, right? Not always, but often. Think about it for a moment, especially if you've been married. Think about what it's like to come home at the end of the day and, well, who's there to debrief with? Or when you get crook in the middle of the night, who's there to actually look after you? Or, you know, your annual leave comes around. Who are you planning up to go on holidays with? Especially if you've been married all your life, for a long time, the answer is pretty obvious. But for the single person, that might not be the case. There are lots of good things that can come from being single, but it can be hard. So in light of that, I wanted to offer a, just a few more practical implications then. Firstly, um, to those who are single. Singleness is hard, so you might want to get married. If you do, don't date someone who's not a believer. Why? Remember last week we are talking about marriage. What do you look for? What's the right kind of partner? You look for godliness. You look for the guy or the girl who's going to be godly. In fact, have a look at this verse from 1 Corinthians 7 again. It's from verse 39. It talks about becoming a widow, and it says this. A a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Here is the person in ancient times who had uh, a choice about who they might marry, and what is she told to do? Marry a believer. Of course, that raises a what-if question. What if I'm, I'm already married and I'm married to someone who isn't a believer? What then? Well, again, our 1 Corinthians passage helps. Uh, verse 12, if a, brother is a, uh, sorry, if a brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he mustn't divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. I say, you're married. Stay married. Don't get divorced. Stay married to your spouse. But if you're single, 
And if you're thinking about possibly getting married, who do you date? Well, you date, you court, you marry the person who's already a believer. Also, if you're single, I want to say this, um, aim to build really strong friendships. I know that's a given, right? But aim to build really strong friendships, even with couples. Um, I'm sure you want friends who are single and... Because uh, like you, they're just going to be a bit more available to hang out. They probably understand where you're coming from a little easier. And this is this is this is really good. There's, these are things that you should you should keep pursuing. But over time, people tend to get married. And when that happens, work hard. I want to encourage you, if you're a single person, work hard at those friendships so they just don't fade away. Keep aiming to be friends, even with with couples. Um, Here's a, a part of a book I was reading recently. Um, There's a quote from a guy. He's talking about what it's like for him being single. And this is what he said. He said, If my single friends were no longer single, I'd become their girlfriend or boyfriend's friend. I'd invest in their relationship as a couple. I've never been afraid of being a third wheel. As a result, over the years, I've been blessed with being able to sow into people's marriages and to observe things, sometimes intimate ways, things I otherwise would not have seen. Keep working hard at friendships, even if your friends uh, become a couple. But secondly, now let me turn it and talk to the married people in the room. Honestly, the point for you, if you're married, is fairly simple. Singleness is hard, so make sure you include single people in your life. I want to say, especially friends here, you have a a, a commitment to single people in our church community. And and I don't think I'm saying you need to do anything kind of drastically to change your lifestyle. It's just the normal things that you do. Have have people over for dinner. Go to movies with single people. When you're going to the beach as a family, maybe see if they want to tag along as well. It's about making sure you include single people, not letting them fall off your radar, but being intentional about it. And can I say marriage as well? If they say no to you this time, that doesn't mean they're saying no to every future invite that you might make. Keep asking. Make it easier for them to have deep friendships with you by having them in your life. That's probably enough for me for now, isn't it? What I'm going to do is I'm going to step down and I actually ask Joe to come up. Come on up, Joe. Um, each week in this series, we've had the, the, the privilege of having people from our church just come up and talk us through a bit of practical wisdom. And today, Joe is going to talk a little bit about what um, being a single person has been like for her. I'm going to give you a microphone and then I'll stand out of your way. Thanks, Joe. Hello. Um, I'm Joe. And basically what Scott said. Thank you. Um, I'm here today as a far too close to 50-year-old woman um, to share a little bit about my life as a single person with a hope to encourage and inspire maybe someone who may need to hear some real on what it is like and what it can be um, to be single as a Christian. Singleness for me is a gift, but I haven't always seen it as that. There was a time when there was a lot of assumptions placed on me about marriage. You will get married, don't worry. Um, almost like I was expected to. I should get married. It's good for you. And lastly, and quite painfully, that must be something that there must be something wrong with me if I wasn't married. 
I recall a, um, a total of 15 very well-meaning couples came up to me at my brother's wedding some years ago, all saying the same thing. Oh, your turn next. Um, with no partner to speak of, that was a bit of a smack in the face and a reality that the social norm was to be married and I wasn't. Was there something wrong with me? This caused me to feel a sense of loneliness and despair. I saw many of my friends get married. I was a um, bridesmaid 11 times and you would have all probably heard the saying, always a bridesmaid, never the bride. Other times I've felt the impact of singleness is with stuff like around the house and that needs repair. I'm a nurse, not a fix-it person. And, um, you know, I have to have a husband who could do this and that around the house. A daily hug with the love of my life sounds good. I will say, though, that with most couples or many couples I know, that's not always the reality. Another thing about singleness is the perceived loneliness. And not that I've escaped that. I lived with a beautiful family of six for a couple of years and then God led that family overseas. All of a sudden, from me being in a household of seven, it was just me. And I did feel the impact of that. I, feel, I felt the sting of not having someone to come home to, um, which led to the boo-hoo, well, is my life, no one loves me kind of feeling. But what I discovered during that very isolating time was that it was actually okay to be single. In fact, Paul in Corinthians advocated for it. Like Scott said, he seemed to really value his situation. He said, I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to be unmarried as I am. It is a gift. I love gifts, so I accept it with gratitude. To address the aloneness feels, I personally don't say I live alone. That in itself sounds really isolating. I prefer to say I live in my community. I put measures so that I'm not physically alone all the time. The Bible says it is not good for man to be alone. And yes, there's a reason for that. Community is so important. I adore my community group. The connection is so important to me. I also have some beautiful friends who I really love spending time with, whether just hanging, doing some craft, walking, talking over coffee or a meal or board game, etc. They know me and I love that they can and do call me on stuff when I need it. I actively pursue relationships with people like my neighbours who are not Christians yet. I am part of a health group and love the support and accountability that that brings. I've come to realise that I actually do have a life partner that would and always does go before me in all situations. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And another thing I've found is having the time to focus on my relationship with God. Please know I'm not saying married people can't. In fact, I would say marriages can enhance your relationship with God in many ways. Iron sharpening iron. Beautiful. Where I have found the gold, though, is in verses like in Corinthians 7.32. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. What a gift I have to have the time, capacity and inclination and so on to care for the things of the Lord. There's no need to actually consider another person. 
Not that it's bad to consider another person, but I just don't have to. <laughs> I would suggest equally that being single and married has its advantages and challenges. I like that and I find it very reassuring. Some of the key ways to live single for me well, and by no means is this an exhaustive list, but is to know my situation is a gift, the time it is given. It does not mean it will always necessarily be such, but treasure it while it is yours. It's a good thing. I might not have my own children, but I do foster on a respite emergency basis when the, my roster work allows. I'm a doting auntie of three and three nieces and a nephew. I have a godson who is a real treasure and a surrogate aunt to some other young'uns. I love spending time with them and then equally love sending them back to their families. <laughs> so treasure and involve yourself in community, in your community of people, your family, your church family, community group, workmates, neighbours and, of course, your friends. Invest in them. We're not designed to be isolated. And being single doesn't mean we are or need to be isolated. Seek amongst those people in your community whom, reach, whom to reach out to, both for help and to help. <laughs> that stuff is important. Dedicate yourself to the things of God. We can. We have the time and capacity to. Absorb the Bible in your lives. Live a life of praise and worship. And, of course, praying without ceasing. That was actually brought up um, in our community group on Wednesday night. What is praying without ceasing? And it means to always have our minds on the things of God, to be in constant communication with him, so that every moment may be as fruitful as possible. Thanks, Kirsty. Um, it can only be advantage, advantageous to do these things for our own faith and, to do, and for the things of God as a whole. Let me leave you with this thought. I wonder what Mother Teresa's ministry would have looked like if she was married. Thanks so much, Joe. And um, I'm sure I speak for all of us when I say we appreciate your openness and honesty. And um, I, 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 I know that Jo has used her time well. There are people across Adelaide, even in our church, who benefited from her using her time for their good. Um, thank you, Jo. Ten, I, I wanted to give you um, some thoughts of, of someone I know. Uh, these were her reflections. I'll read it out to you in a moment. Um, it's not on the screen, but these are her reflections uh, on what life was like for her being single after a divorce. She said, uh, when I told someone recently that I was not at all interested or looking into entering a new intimate relationship with a man ever again, they were unable to accept that. It seemed they were suggesting my life could not be fulfilled or complete without that. They said, never is a long time. This is so opposite to how I feel. I feel so content with, just, with allowing myself to just be me. I have wonderful relationships with friends and family, so I don't feel lonely. My relationship with my Heavenly Father is completely fulfilling. I don't feel like I'm missing out. In fact, the opposite is true. I want to read that out because I think it, it highlights and captures two big things we've seen today. 
Firstly, marriage is great, but real fulfillment never comes through marriage. There's something deeper. Secondly, isn't that exactly the kind of experience we want for single people in our church? Where they're deeply relationally connected to others. Let me pray for us. Our good and kind and gracious Father, we've approached a topic today that's difficult for, for a lot of us. Please, by your Spirit, be ministering to us all. For those things that we've needed to hear, we pray that you would keep impressing them on our hearts. And for all of us, in all the relationships we have, help us have the same mindset as our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was God, yet he became humble, yet he served, yet he died for us. Help us be other person-centered in all our relationships as he was. We ask for this in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.